Hello and welcome to the Bridge Community Church Listen Again podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Our prayer is that what you are about to hear encourages you and builds your faith. Thank you, Pam and Imi, for leading us in that time of worship. Thank you for David for uh, chairing this service this morning and what's been a challenging few days for him. Great that you're with us this morning. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, again, another special welcome to those online who are listening in this morning. Um, a warm welcome to you as well. As David has mentioned, we're looking through a series, Making the World a Better Place. David kicked us off last week, the first in the series, with uh, simplicity, the habit of simplicity. If you uh, missed it, then do go back and uh, listen to it online. And we're looking at the second in the, the series this morning on solitude. And you're probably, you're probably thinking, like I did when I first got given this subject, uh, how on earth you know, can you make the world a better place by being in solitude. And uh, the only thing I can think of is if I walked through, walked out into the desert, then maybe the world becomes a better place if I go off to the desert. But um, some people might agree with that. And, uh, but talking of deserts, there were, there were three men stranded in a desert. And just like good old desert stories, they come across the, you know, the golden lamp as you do in a desert and they, they rubbed it and as it does, it, the, you know, the genie comes out and says, you can have three wishes, three men, a Man City supporter, a Liverpool supporter, and an Ipswich Town supporter. Okay, so one wish between them, there's three of them. Okay, so first of all, the Man City says, uh, okay, it's quarter of three on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, Man City are just about to play Man United in the, in the Manchester derby, and he said, that's where I want to be. I want to be at the Etihad. So off he goes to the Etihad. Liverpool support thinks, hmm, that's a good idea. Just so happened that they were playing Everton that day. You know, the Merseyside derby. So at 10 to 3, he says, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be at Anfield, ready for kickoff. Whoosh, off they both go. So it just leaves the Ipswich Town supporter. 5 to 3. Does he want to watch Ipswich Town? He can't be bothered. <laughs> so so he, decides, he decides that he's just going to stay there. And... Um, but he is feeling rather lonely. So at five to, just a few minutes to three, he says, I know what I'll wish for. I'll wish for my two friends to be back with me. <laughs> well, they, they were none too happy, I can tell you that. And, uh, but uh, you see, while that story obviously isn't a true story, but there are two truths that, that come out of it. Like the Man City and the Liverpool supporter, you know, many people like to be where the action is, where life is busy and exciting. And like the Ipswich Town supporter, generally speaking, we don't want to be on our own in isolated places. A dictionary definition of solitude is the state or situation of being alone. It talks about loneliness, isolation, seclusion, are all mentioned. Being in a lonely or uninhabited place. That's the dictionary definition of solitude. But the solitude that we are looking at today, this morning, is much better than this. 
because we are looking at the Christian discipline of solitude, not the dictionary definition. There is a difference between loneliness and Christian solitude. Loneliness very often leads us to an inner emptiness, whereas Christian solitude very often leads us to inner fulfillment. And it's that solitude that we're looking at this morning. So what is Christian solitude? It's one of the most foundational of all the Christian disciplines. In solitude, we learn to unplug from the noise and distractions of this world. And where possible, withdraw from people for a while for the purpose of spending time with God. In solitude, Christian solitude, we are never alone. God is with us. A time where we can speak with God and listen to his voice as we deepen our relationship with him. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul had the discipline of solitude in mind when he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. In Ephesus 3, 15 to 9, he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, what a prayer. When did you last pray that for somebody? That the Christians of Ephesus would have this deeper experience of God's fullness. And that very often comes through the discipline of solitude. During the pandemic of COVID-19, awful as it has been, there was a huge blessing available from God, especially through the times of deepest lockdown. Did you notice it? And did you take advantage of it? For most of us, not all, a lot of the distractions of life were taken from us, weren't they? Not having to work, being on furlough, not being able to go out to public events or meeting up with people, not being able to go to activities, including church. And sad as that was, there was a great opportunity to spend more time with God. For most of us, not all, we had a lot more time on our hands and the opportunity to spend more time with God in solitude was there. Did we take advantage of it? Some of us, I am sure, did, while others may have missed the opportunity. The reason why solitude is a Christian discipline is that time to be alone with God can be a real challenge with all the distractions and busyness of life, even in lockdown, 
even in lockdown, there were still other things to distract us. So what does the Bible say about solitude? Well, in a way, it doesn't. <laughs> because the word solitude is not mentioned in the Bible. But it does give us examples and pictures of the act which this Christian discipline is based on. Many Bible characters spent time alone with God, and as they did so, they deepened their relationship with God. Moses, in particular, spent a lot of time alone in God's presence. And Jacob and Elijah and David are others to name uh, plenty more. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see him constantly spending time alone with his God the Father. In Luke 5, verse 16, two of that. In Luke 5, verse 16, it tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And we get a few examples of this in the Gospels, which we'll be looking at briefly in the next few moments. But this verse tells us that it was a regular discipline, not just the times we read about in the Bible. It was a regular discipline that Jesus practiced. In Luke 4, we see Jesus spending 40 days alone with God in the wilderness when he was tempted constantly by the devil. Jesus holding on to the word of God as he prepared for his ministry through solitude. And so that's one thing that solitude does. Solitude helps prepare us for the ministry that God has given us to do. It helps us as it did with Jesus. In Luke 6 verse 12, it tells us that the night before Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he went up a mountainside to pray. And there we see a picture of solitude helping in decision-making. And that's what solitude does. It helps us to make the right decisions in life. In verse 14, verse 13, it tells us that when Jesus heard that his friend and cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded in prison, he withdraws privately by boat to a solitary place. Grief. Grief leading to a time of solitude. Trying to make sense of it all. Holding on to the promises of God and preparing to keep going with his ministry. That very same day, he was swamped by crowds when his boat reached the other side of the lake. Crowds swamped him, and we read that he had compassion on them, and he healed those who were ill. He then miraculously feeds 5,000 plus people with just five loaves and two fish. He had compassion on these people, even though he was going through a time of great grief. Do you see what that time of solitude did? It kept his focus on God as he continued to do his Father's will. And even in grief, he was still able to act compassionately 
to people after a time of solitude. That night, after this amazing miracle, Jesus sends his disciples back across to the other side of the lake by boat, while he himself goes up a mountainside by himself to pray. And we read about that in Matthew 14, verse 23. Jesus is keeping his feet firmly on the ground by humbly staying in touch with God. It just, it just fed 5,000 people, you know, but he was keeping his feet on the ground, not ever thinking that he could do all of this wonderful stuff without God the Father. And after this time of solitude, Jesus walks on the water of the lake to rescue the stranded disciples in the boat who had been struggling for many hours against the wind. Solitude, leading us to people who need help, crying out for help in life. In Mark chapter 1, we read that after a full day of healing people, you would think, you know, Jesus was tired and exhausted. There were crowds coming. They were knocking at his door, and they, they were just swamping him. You'd think after a whole day like that, the next day, that he would have a lion but we read in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now that's a challenge to us with the mornings getting darker, isn't it? While it was still dark, Jesus went off and prayed. And for Jesus, this particular time of solitude, if you read the story, you know, at the start of the day, it confirmed why he had come into this world. He had great success in the neighbourhood the day before. And his disciples said, come on, let's do some more. The crowds are waiting for you, Jesus. Let's do some more of this stuff right here where the crowds are. But he tells his disciples as they approach him, let us go to other nearby villages so I can preach to them also, for that is why I have also come. Solitude can help to direct what we do in following God's will and can lead us to the right people. In Matthew 26, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. And he goes off to a quiet corner by himself, seeking God's will as he faced the enormity of the cross. Drawing strength from God the Father in a time of solitude and knowing God's will, even though he was going through the toughest time of his life. You know, Christian, there is no better place for us during the tough times of life than to draw close to God and to spend quality time with him. As a result of solitude, Jesus made the world a better place through what he said and what he did. And so can we. Times of solitude helped and confirmed his decision-making and led him to the right people where he was able to show God's love and compassion. The comfort and strength and affirmation he received from God through solitude would have encouraged him in his ministry 
and it can strengthen and encourage us also. All these things are available to us through times of solitude, resulting in us, in our own small way, making the world a better place. So, how well do we do when it comes to the area of solitude? Are we giving God the time that he deserves? Or are the distractions of this life, the pressures and worries of this life, the material things of this life, are they stopping us from quality time with God? Just like Jesus in the wilderness, Satan will do everything he can to distract us from spending time alone with God. In James 4, verses 7 to 8, we read, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, verse 6, that when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see, there is great blessing when we are prepared to spend time with Father God. And if Jesus felt the need for it, then we certainly should. I'm also aware this morning that uh, when I'm speaking to a congregation or people online, I am speaking to a great variety of people in our congregation in totally different situations in life. In today's case, I might be speaking to people who are retired and who have a good amount of time on their hands. But I might also be speaking to the busy mum, who might be in full-time work, who is central in the family, trying to hold everything together, and keeping the house ticking over, as well as being involved in church ministry and having aging parents to look after. You know, we have some super mums in this church, don't we? Trying to, trying to juggle spinning plates everywhere. How on earth do you find time for God? You know, it's so much harder isn't it, for a person in that situation. Two totally different situations in trying to manage time alone with God. So I'm going to break it down into three levels of solitude to make it more applicable to us this morning. So I'd see what the first level, what I would call a first level, is just taking those few minutes out that we might have available to us throughout the day to touch base with God, even though there might be people around us. You see, Christian solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. There is a solitude of heart that can be maintained at all times. Crowds, or lack of them, have little to do with the inner attentiveness we give to God. And that's what it's all about, the inner attentiveness that we give to God. Coming to God in those few moments of space that we might have available to us. 
Maybe when we're at the school gate, waiting for our child, just quickly coming to God and saying, God, who do you want me to speak to? Maybe when we're filling up at the petrol station. Maybe when we're in a waiting room before a health checkup or other appointments. When we're in the shopping queue, it's a long queue. We've got more time to pray. Or at the bus stop. You know, these little moments, praising God in those times, seeking his will as to who he wants us to speak to, asking for his wisdom and strength to get through the day, asking for opportunities to show God's love and compassion to others. Very often when we are praying for opportunities, they are more likely to happen. In John 5, chapter 5, Jesus is under attack from Jewish leaders about his claim to being the Son of God. And he gives this statement in verse 19. He says this, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. In other words, when he spent time with Father God, he could see what needed to be done. And in those moments, those brief moments, we can see and check with God what he wants us to do in those situations. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus in his busy schedule was also taking just these few moments out to touch base with God in certain situations. Let me give you a, a few which I think is the case. John chapter 4, we've got Jesus sitting down by the well, haven't we? Extremely tired from a long journey and very thirsty as it's midday. His disciples had gone off to buy food. Do you think that Jesus had a few moments of solitude with God? The result was that the woman who came to the well was transformed by what Jesus said to her. And not only her, the whole town went on to believe in Jesus as well. How about John chapter 8? The teachers of the law and Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they try to trap him by asking him what they should do with her. The law was to stone her. And Jesus bends down and writes in the sand with his finger. Jesus is under pressure, with crowds around him waiting for a response. As he writes in the sand, do you think he is having a moment of solitude with God? After a few moments, he looks up and says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, as we know, they all walk away. Let's take these moments that become available to us throughout a busy day to touch base with God. The second level is a bit more intentional, where we might intentionally spend a bit more time with, with God. We might call it our quiet time, where we can spend 15 minutes or, or half an hour or even an hour, if we're super spiritual, reading God's word and coming to him in prayer. It requires more commitment and planning. It can be helpful to have Bible reading notes so we can follow a plan in our daily readings. 
If you don't have daily Bible reading notes, then talk to another Christian about them or our church office to get advice. It's a chunk of time where we can put distractions to one side and draw close to God. But as well as our quiet times, there are other inventive ways we can draw near to God. Going out for a prayer walk, talking with God. I often play a round of golf with God. We have a great time. I talk to him. It's fantastic to, to talk about his creation as I'm playing golf. And, uh, and we have a bit of a laugh about the few shots that I make and, uh, and all sorts of things. And um, he often teaches me patience and humility when I'm on the golf course, amongst other things. But it's quite a precious time that I have with God. How about ironing? and putting some worship songs on and allowing God to speak to us as we worship him, as we iron or as we cook. In my 20s and 30s, I used to have five-hour stints of ironing uh, and that's what I used to do. I used to put the worship on and they were great times of worship, just ironing away for five hours. I drive my car to Cambridge every day for work or most days and I have a choice. I have a choice every single day to listen to talk sport on the radio or to turn it off and to talk to God. 30 or 40 minutes of quality time. Washing the car or doing some gardening, you know, are other chunks of time we can include God in. And there are many other ways too, including sitting in a place of beauty like the Abbey Gardens and just, uh, you know, praising and thanking God for his creation and awesomeness. Let's be creative in times of solitude with God. I don't know if you heard of Susanna Wesley. Great example. I, I would encourage you to read about her life if you, you haven't done so. But Susanna Wesley, she, um, she actually gave birth to 19 children, but uh, nine of them died, unfortunately. And so she had to bring up 10 children, um, almost single-handedly, and, uh, you know, she homeschooled them. She looked after the, the farm that they were living on. And she was doing 101 other jobs, a bit like that busy mum that I was, I was talking about earlier. Um, but she wanted her moment of solitude. And the story goes that, you know, once a day she would sit in a kitchen on her chair and she'd stick the apron over her head for one or two hours a day, every day. And with the 10 kids just milling around her, they knew that when she had the apron over her head, that was her time of solitude with God. Fantastic woman. She raised up her children well with lots of spiritual input. Two of her children were John and Charles Wesley, who went on to serve God in some amazing ways. How solitude in the midst of busyness led her to making the world a better place. The influence of that woman's moments of solitude. And then we come to level three. It's a, it's a greater commitment in time. We're talking about more hours and, and you know, it's more serious and, and involves greater commitment and planning. And these are closer to the times Jesus may well have had in his solitary places. These times are when we give our full 
and undivided attention to God. You're not driving, you're not washing a car, you're not playing golf or even doing your quiet time in the family where there could be distractions. You're going to go to a place ideally with no distractions and nobody else around where we can just pour our heart out to God, where we can take stock and examine ourselves. A place where we can pray, worship, read and study, but a place where we can listen, listen to God and hear his gentle whisper for our lives, giving God quality time. And some Christians would go away on a retreat or a break or to a, a you know, Hara Cottage or wherever and just get away from it all and just spend quality time with God. And it's always good to aim for more quality times alone with God in our lives. That's, that's the type of solitude we should all be aiming for. No distractions. I wonder, how are we doing on these different levels? In recent months, we had the fuel crisis, didn't we, where petrol stations were running out of fuel. And during the worst part of the crisis, the BBC, in their wisdom, sent their reporter to a petrol station running out of fuel. Their reporter's name was called Phil McCann. <laughs> People thought it was, uh, you know, they checked the date to see if it was April the 1st, but it actually is true. There is a reporter called Phil McCann. But without God in our lives, we will spiritually run dry. And so in times of solitude, we are in essence coming to God and saying, fill my can. You see, solitude can help us to face all areas of our lives face on. It gives us a chance to put things right with God. It gives us spiritual strength and refreshment to keep going. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, God says, In quietness and trust is your strength. Solitude helps us to come closer to God, to know him better, and to listen to his voice. Solitude can transform us, and it's very often through this transforming that we can make the world a better place. Henry Nguyen writes about this subject when he says, Solitude is the furnace of transformation, a place where we can sort things out in our lives that are not right, a place where we can become more like Jesus. We read earlier that Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians that they would become full of God, and that can only happen if we yield our inner self to the transforming presence of Jesus in our lives. And in solitude, it becomes easier to hear God's whisper about his highest purposes for our lives, much easier. Thomas Merton once wrote, it is in deep solitude that I can find the gentleness with which to love others. Solitude, transforming us so that we can make the world 
a better place. Paul closed his prayer for the Ephesian Christians with these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is saying that God can give us the power to do amazing things for him in making this world a better place as a result of solitude. I close with Psalm 46, a psalm where there are all sorts of distractions going on. There are waters roaring and foaming. There are earthquakes. There are nations in uproar and kingdoms falling as a result of war. We might feel a little bit like that with the chaos of the world today. But in verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So may we all do that as much as possible in our lives as we spend time in solitude with him. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, check us out on social media at Bridge CC UK. Thanks for listening and have a great day.